0: There she is, Captain. Isn't she a beauty? Yes, she is, Mr. Scott. Is she ready to go? Aye, sir. She's ready to go to the stars.
1: is the 300th episode of the tri-tech games podcast its mission to seek out new ideas find new games and to boldly bring the awesome to your game mr scott warp nine i got This is Bruce, this is John,
2: this is Trav,
0: this is Pixie,
3: and this is Rich. Welcome to the Tri Tac Gains podcast, your podcast of being lured down to a darkened alley and sold pictures of plucked octopus <laughs> in striped pajamas. What? Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about, Bruce? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm sorry, was I not supposed to talk about that? You know, what stays in the back alley at tritech you know. uh, Anyways, welcome to the TriTech Games Podcast. Uh, this week we are talking about hardwired hinterland, in case you were wondering why I would start off with such a strange premise. Uh we, it is a strange and crazy place. It's much like Camelot, uh, you know, in Spamalot. It's a, it's a, it's a silly place. <laughs> Hopefully you have all who are our faithful listeners, had a chance to check out this game and play it, but we will give it a, a quick rundown as to what it is. Not that that, thats what we're, we're talking about triangle trade. Uh, in the Hardwired Hitterland. And we're talking about the the economic resources and playing the game more on the lines of an economic basis rather than just a pure adventure. Not that you can't do both, but just that, you know, if you ever want to do it, sometimes it would make sense to just sit down and look at what's out there, and that's what we're trying to do. Fringeworthy, a unique trait shared by so few a gift or a curse to those that can transit a portal accessing the extra-dimensional network. A pathway to a million million portals to a million million other worlds. Worlds filled with terrible wonder or shocking beauty, populated by denizens other than human and motivated by their own values. A creation of a race so advanced that the physical laws of the universe became not barriers to their own creative drives. Will you shoulder this burden
0: and step onto the paths for your world? Adventure in the million million worlds of Fringeworthy. Fringeworthy is a role-playing game by TriTech Games, available at tritechgames.com. Come explore the worlds of TriTech Games. Explore the worlds of Fringeworthy. Then we run to Icecap.
3: And Icecap produces nothing and Icecap needs therefore everything. <laughs> They, they don't want visitors and stuff like that, but in fact is, they have to have a very carefully vetted supply line of people bringing in food and supplies to support the 2,300 prisoners and the guards that are supporting this place. And they also have to have enough technology to be able to protect their borders, So I don't know how they're doing that, whether they have planes flying around the edges all the time or whether they have missile installations that fire on anybody who comes within a mile of the uh, of the environment. I don't know how how it's handled, but they've got to have, you know, those kinds of penguins, armed penguins. Yeti. That too. The Yeti are over in uh, Little Kiev.
1: They, they 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 hire a few of them you know so you have all the prisoners you want you to escape they need a lot of um of a relatively
3: high tech stuff there because they're it has to endure the intense cold uh it has to uh hopefully be as automated as possible so they don't have a lot of people to guard these 2300 otherwise they're going to have 10 guards for every one Inmate, because they have, in addition to watching out for the the jail, they also have to police the rest of the island. Because it says that the island is very well policed, and so two hundred mile
1: by two hundred mile environ. Yeah. So, so, Richard, is it surrounded by? Is this like a a giant box valley with mountains all around the edge? Because otherwise, ice ice likes to move. You would have have you would have glacier movement on into the ocean. Otherwise. But the ice doesn't
4: move. Some falls off the edges, and uh, basically there may be, much like Antarctica, a rocky ring all the way around it, you know, a few wow. hundred feet, and that's about it.
3: Yeah, remember, it, it's going to be snowing on this thing, and it's going to be replenishing it from the inside because it it pulls all kinds of moist air from the uh, ocean or surrounding it into the environs and drops it on the, uh, on the ice cap.
1: Yeah, the ice cap is, a, and the ice cap itself is green. it's a thousand feet thick. Does it say that? Yes, it does. Which means it's actually deeper than than the average, because most environments aren't that tall. So it's actually it's thicker than it's. it's it, is it really tall, Richard, or is it basically go that far down into the water with a rocky
4: shore around it and debris, basically, and a beach? It probably
1: goes down deeper. So it so it is sort of like in a little box then, so to speak.
3: More like, yeah, yeah, you're right, box, but I'm just saying is it bowl is probably more likely what its shape is.
1: And I think the prison's probably put in the most logical place, dead center.
4: Dead center.
1: Oh yeah. Right right next to the power point.
4: Uh it's as close to the power point as they can get. Which extends very deep into the, you know, into a, you know, over a thousand feet of ice.
3: Yeah. W- would you want to have to run, <laughs> run uh, electrical lines through the Arctic weather any further than you had to? They got people there to do it for them.
4: And there could be a great escape of sewing together material and building a giant
1: helium balloon to get off.
3: Yeah. It's playing helium. All the environs have helium.
1: Yeah. So how deep, how deep down is this? How, uh, how deep does it go? How deep is zero? The prison. Oh,
4: the, the prison's probably just below the surface.
1: Okay, so it's, it's not like a it's not like two hundred feet underneath the surface. It's it's basically no no the surface.
2: Yeah.
3: Oh, I thought it'd be farther under the surface too.
1: Yeah, I thought at least a hundred feet. That way it makes makes getting out even harder.
2: Yeah. Wait a minute. It's a it's a it's a sub zero arctic environment. Yeah, surrounded by hundreds of miles of ocean. Where are you going to go? Anywhere beyond <laughs> that, <laughs> if you. Well, it's like the pr-
4: the prisoners who the prisoners who escaped from Alcatraz. Where were they going to go? But they got off.
3: Well, uh, in answer to your in, in an honest answer to your question, Trav, all it takes is one moral in your mouth. The one that teleports you to the first environ on your left. Yep.
1: Hmm. That's right, the magic mushrooms.
3: Ah. So, so believe me, they're they're, they're going to be searching every bit of those supplies that come in. That's why I said it has to be a very carefully vetted, you know, supply chain.
1: Yeah. And the thing is there are also two other stations there. So the, there's the prison, which is probably the main main population. And then there's two sub-zero stations. They probably what were they? Are they research or, do, or do people just like living there? Probably rescue
4: for anybody crashing on that in that place.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, mountaintop then. So they actually can see them. Mm, nope, probably on the
4: ground with uh, you know, basically poles and flags. The poles really get cold, though.
1: Yeah. <laughs> But this is where I would see them actually using that uh, things like the air, like the skimmer from Johnny Quest. You remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The hovercraft. Yeah, if,
4: if they had that technology, but they probably don't.
1: No, but I can imagine. You know, basically, if someone gets a swamp boat, put skis out, put skis out. It's close enough. Uh, since you don't have a movement
3: of the ice, you don't have pressure ridges. Yeah. So once so once you go and, and use that uh, electrical power point to produce a steam, and you go and smooth out a road somewhere, that road stays that way forever, you know, and, and uh, except for you know occasional roughness from falling snow and froze and it freezing there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I can see them going, you know, just you know, uh, everything's here, tractor or on skis. So yeah, the snowmobile. They have early snowmobiles. And probably, you know, like, like I said, someone, someone figures how to make a a, 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 a a propeller powered vehicle to travel on the ice. I don't think it would need a
3: lightning crystal. I think a, an alcohol engine like that would probably be okay.
1: Yeah, because it gives you speed, and that's what you want. You, if someone crashes, you want to get to them as fast as you can. So be, between aircraft and and these and these ice skimmers, uh, that's probably the fastest way to get to these folks so that, you know I'm just seeing things that get people around fast and you don't have to worry about landing remember that you can land a
3: plane next to the environ the you know the, the the only when you go into the deep water do the car and the whale and the car and the squid go for you big time yeah
1: but you may not have the choice in the matter but you know that's depends what, what you
3: I mean most people who crash are probably going to crash at the edge of the environ so only somebody only an idiot you know would, would go and crash far inland of ice cap they're probably you know, those people are committing suicide you should just probably let them do what they're doing
1: yeah actually was it uh, ice cap and then oh but i can see someone going over ice cap from from Etiwongo to get to well yeah but they wouldn't be able to because they get shot down i mean it's
3: definitely a no fly area john
1: Okay, but our Kansas is directly north, and I can see them delivering wheat and stuff to Little Texas, which is directly south. Right, but you wouldn't fly over uh, Ice Cap. That would that, they, they would not allow that. So I would say that in that case, the, the smart place to put the two stations would be on the, let's uh, call east and west sides of, of the environ. That way, you kind of got the coast to work with. So if yeah.
3: rescue stations, then yeah, that would make sense. Okay, well, let's move on. Okay, now we're up to Little Texas. Little Texas produces a lot of stuff. Okay. um, We have oil, cattle, tourism, watermelon, smart horses, mutton, wool, uh, sheep. uh, Wait, that's, oh, that's, okay, and wool. Okay, that's. My my uh, my spreadsheet kind of pushed something up to the to the top like it ah. should have done. Okay, so oil, cattle, tourism, watermelon, smart horses, mutton, and wool. So that's what they produce, and what they need is railroad, radio, telephone, and TV. As far as supplies, what
1: technology? Right. Yeah, and um, oh, and billing supplies for New Houston that they're going to build themselves. Well,
3: if they're going to build like modern, a, a, a modern city, you're right. Otherwise they probably, you know, uh, yeah, this might be a, one of the few places that actually could, could possibly use some wood. Um, mm-hmm. cause it's, it mostly looks like on the, it has this, the center is all very rocky and mountainous and I'm not sure how wooded it is. And the rest of it is kind of yeah. like, you know, uh, West Texas. Where it's all <clears> plains and and um, and and desert and
1: rolling uh, uh, t- uh, uh, tumbleweed. Well, having been in having been in one end of uh, end of Texas for a while, it's actually more. I would I wouldn't call it desert. I would call it more scrubland. Right? Uh, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah it's lot. There's still plants there to eat, but yeah if you if you're raising cattle, there's got to be places where you can put them out to graze. Yeah.
3: So, you know the main thing that it 's known for is is, is this oil um, uh is its oil well it 's the only place that has an oil well and oh. they they're apparently they need and this is one thing that I thought was you know, they 're doing a lot of speculation trying to find another oil well, but so far they haven 't done so so the all of the uh and that oil therefore has to be um you know earmarked for you know Anson's Kingdom for its, you know, uh, its jet fuel. It has to be earmarked air, for uh, truly high grade um, uh, uh, m- machine oil. Stuff that cannot be uh, uh, replaced by uh, uh, by the low grade uh, oil pods.
1: And and also it's also the source of, of fuel for the Beagle project too. Oh
2: right. yeah, the air fuel. Yeah.
1: Well, not the airfield, but for
3: the rocket ship, right. Well, that's that's a that's a small that's a small use.
1: Yeah, yeah, but still, that, that, that's whether you need the, like JP four and, and the and the high and the harder to refine stuff.
3: Right, right, and no, I totally understand that, John. I'm just saying though, is that you know most of the oil that's coming out of there is actually going to things that are not for burning in car engines or burning in airplanes. It's being used for plastic manufacturing and other types of things like that. That's
2: well- uh, yeah, it says there has been no consideration to use oil as a fuel source as it is such a rare commodity.
3: Except that it is used as a, as a fuel source. It just It's just very, you know, it's really, really high cost involved.
1: Yeah, well, I, one thing I see it being used for besides lubrication, because that's just one of the byproducts of the, of the uh, refining process, plastic. And dies. In fact, there's a whole range of petrochemicals that are produced from the bits you can't use for lubrication and for fuel that go off to become long string molecules and various products. So, yeah, it's there. There's a lot of things. Yeah, I can see where people are saying, Well, we can turn to fuel or we can turn into plastic or turn to or into, or into medicine because there's there are a few medicines made from oil. Oh, yeah.
3: Uh now the one thing that was not mentioned here at all Richard is um natural gas because a lot of natural gas comes out of oil wells. Does it does this oil well also produce natural gas?
1: No. Okay. And again is this one of those things that you know we just keep pumping the dang thing and it never runs out? Yep. Well, it's like what you never know
3: until it runs out that it's going to run out.
0: Eventually that will run out. Uh, I would think that sort of thing, being oil, is inherently made from dead things. So I would say eventually that's going to run out.
3: Unless, see, we also know that the Hardwired Hinterland is an artificial creation. It's possible that they have something down deep, deep, deep under the ground that's cranking out oil as necessary, and we'll Ah. we'll keep it going forever.
4: And hold on, something people don't realize is that a lot of the oil on this planet is the remains of the old atmosphere. So, Why would anybody know that? Huh?
3: (laughs) Why would anybody know that?
4: The first I've ever heard of it. If you look it up, you'll find out. It's uh, they they there's there's too much oil to account for what uh, you know the Carboniferous age and everything else. It's part of the old atmosphere. Is basically that the old methane, yeah, Earth. But we don't know what this thing is. Why this stuff is you know what what's generating what that's ending up here.
1: Well, I mean. A lot of it we know is comes. A lot of it is, in fact, from the um, during the carnip, car, yeah, not, uh during actually from uh, algae. It's not trees. Trees make coal. It's actually from algae and 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 plankton, basically going down and basically decomposing into oil. But the meth, but the methane, is, but the methane is still methane. I mean, it's basically it's carbon cycle puts under the soil and up comes, but that's that's a world that actually has a working tectonics. Tic- there's no tectonics there's no tic- in this world. You know, if there's oil, it's it's oil, someone put it there. It's a toy world. <laughs> okay, so anyways,
3: uh, so we're, there's plenty of oil. Now, I put under what it needs is railroad because um, I'm looking at the map and they've got basically like, you know, what looks like roads going around it, but I don't think any of that's rail. They mentioned rail, okay, but it's not actually on the map anywhere. So when I ran my campaign, that was one of the big things they wanted to do is they wanted to put a railroad that literally circled um, the uh, mountain areas in the center. Or actually, one guy wanted to circle, the other guy wanted to go through, basically doing it across, and he he was hiring the... uh, uh, the 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 players to essentially help him in his uh, manufacturing of explosives to pr- uh, produce a better explosive to help level the area between San Antonio and Dallas. They need all the stuff that you need for uh, uh, for running a railroad, and fortunately, there is a place to get that. And uh, and and we'll get to that as we get
1: along here. And did notice that their industries are farming, so they primarily are farming. Oil's just the little cherry on top of the pie of the, of the, of the Sunday, more or less. The next one is Tuva.
3: Tuva is <laughs> they um, uh, they don't need a whole lot, and they don't, and and uh, they kind of, you know, what do, what do they produce? Is 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 very specialized. What they produce is sheep and yak. A lot of it, they do. A, they have a lot of handcrafting, weaving. They all is considered. You know, they consider all. The, they all consider themselves to be artists. Uh, they uh, they are a source of woven wooden rass. Apparently, it's the finest in the hinterland, and they're one of the uh, they're one of the best sources for freshwater fish because they have this huge lake on on their environs. That they uh, they do a lot of fishing. Their main export, however, is probably the Tuvan drink of heroes, which is a fermented mare's milk with hot peppers in it.
1: And if and if it's like most uh, those kinds of beverages, uh, and probably not not a little bit of the uh, brewer's spit in it as well.
2: <laughs> yeah, from what I've. Thanks, John, you know, for
1: ruining it for me. <laughs>
2: Well, I've seen a lot of places and a lot of things on various TV shows that it seems that saliva helps fermentation.
1: Oh, because it has the necessary enzyme, which is why barley is so wonderful. Barley has those enzymes that promote fermentation. So, yeah, there's a lot of things out there that, well, to ferment it. You need those enzymes. Maybe the mare's milk has it. Maybe it doesn't. I do. And there we go. Uh <laughs> So yeah, it's it's. I mean, there's a lot. There's. A, I imagine in Brazil, in the Brasilia, there's a lot. A lot of those drinks people are drinking, they don't want to know where they came from.
2: Yeah, exactly. Again, a, a clip I saw. I think it was Anthony Bourdain on one of his shows, and these people are all sitting there. These women are sitting there chewing on the fruit and spitting it back into the bowl, and in the out of this big bowl, you take a cup and drink this. And just yeah,
1: Native American drink of chicha. Uh, uh, it's a Peruvian drink. It's made from corn and you chew the corn up and you spit in the bowl, add water, lead ferment.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> you drink it while still, you know, bubbling, you know.
2: Oh, goody. You're just, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yep. Froth, you've,
1: frothing you watched, is the
3: term
2: you want.
4: And you watched Booze Hunter.
2: That was the one. That was the show, yeah. Where the yeah. guy... I was, yeah. Oh, just saw that. And I just wanted to, I'm watching that. It was on a clip at work. I wanted to shave my tongue. I was just like, oh God.
1: (laughs) Well, I knew a guy who, I I knew a guy who actually experimented and made his own chicha. He did not spin in it, but he did was he did a few other things to, uh, to get, to prepare it. And then he, uh, used a little barley get the uh, 12-row barley, which has extra enzymes. He added a little barley to the mix. That provided the next, ex- necessary enzymes. He made he made home, homemade chicha. Okay. But how does it taste?
2: He said pretty dang good. Yeah, I was going to say, you're putting barley in, yeah, just because it has the enzymes, it's still going to taste different than the saliva. So yeah, it's not going to be true chicha, isn't it? Chicha? It's not going to be true chicha because barley is not part of the original mix, so there will be a different taste.
1: Yeah, and he said it was great if he, he let ferment out completely, so it was very dry, and then he would make uh, mix it with some uh, strawberries and make like a margarita ah of it. So yeah, perfectly, perfectly uh, drinkable stuff. It's we're talking like about uh, six to six to five six to seven percent alcohol. So not really hard stuff. It's no,
2: no, not bad. No, just... yeah, yeah.
1: So let's let, let's let's quit let, let's quit tangenting. Go back to the uh, to the to Tuva. The... <laughs> Yeah, Tuva.
3: So what do they want? Okay, they um they're very self sufficient uh war uh environment. However, they really do appreciate a very finely crafted low tech weapon like a bow. I mean, not some cheap knockoff thing, but something that's really, really well made. They, they can appreciate that, and they're willing to pay for it. They also are willing to pay for fuel. They'll pay premium prices for it because uh, there's not a whole lot of need for it, so there's not a whole lot of people who bring it. So it's in high demand uh, whenever it is brought to their particular
1: environment. So yeah, probably they'd be, they'd be looking for things like coal or charcoal because that's kind of the things they. You know, we're talking about sixteen hundred is the time frame here. Sixteen hundred in in the in, in the um, um, not Nepal, but in that area in the Himalayas, Mongolia, Mongolia, yeah, yeah, charcoal would be would be right up right up there with the, what they need for ter- terms of fuel. So, yeah, so they would like to have a lot of charcoal. I'm starting to wonder about how, how we're going to transport all this stuff in DC-3s.
3: Well, you don't have to transport all of it because some of it could be transported using dirigibles. Yeah. I mean, if you want to transport a, a locomotive, believe me, it's not going into DC-3. No. could go It could go into Antonev. I don't think so. Uh, that plane might
1: not run, run on alcohol. <laughs> you no, know, it runs on moonbeams and hope. Uh.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, you know, maybe maybe vodka, pure pure you know distilled vodka might work. I don't know. All right, so uh, that's Tuva. Okay, then we come to Magicost. Magicost is a great source of low tech weaponry. Uh, uh and uh, not much else uh, because uh, supposedly it's got all kinds of great stuff but it's almost uh, it's almost all infused with toxic magic and so it has to uh, you know you have to literally put it into storage and let it you know de- uh, decontaminate. I mean, Magikost is supposed to be like a modern city that's had this terrible thing happen to it. So, I mean, there's things like electronics there and there's, you know, plastics and titanium and all the things that you'd expect to find in a modern city that's basically, you know, got nobody in it. But I mean, really, if I was, you know, (laughs) I wouldn't want to do do a triangle trade that included Magikost. Because I think my buyers would be really questioning the quality of the materials I was bringing them, considering how that you know, uh, if you're bringing a lot, there's gonna there's a a probability reaching a certainty that you're gonna be dumping some cursed items on them sooner or later.
1: It's just a ring. It's 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 a little gold ring. It's not if you throw in the fire, you see some writing. Don't worry about it. It's perfectly perfectly fine. It, it really is perfectly fine until someone comes looking for it. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
3: <laughs> because until someone came looking for it, that ring was great. <laughs> My precious. My precious. Yeah, you turn invisible and then you can do whatever you want to, you know? So it's, it's a young man's dream. Slowly go insane. Yeah. Um. <laughs> well, there's that too. Yeah. So, all right. But um, the thing I think that Magic Cost probably needs more than anything is medicine. It's a dangerous place.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and we're talking, and we're well, medicine. Well, not necessarily medicine, because you basically don't really, you know, we don't worry about catching the cold and, and the hardware I'm lab. not talking about antibiotics, John. Yeah, we're talking like you know, we're talking like uh, uh, surgeons and people who can do can. Yeah, I'm talking about surgical
3: supplies, splints, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, glued, you know, uh, um, you know, surgical glue to to glue your parts together long enough for for you to get better. Okay, <laughs> you know, burn bandages. Ointment. you know, yeah. Burn ointment bandages. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on in that
1: place. And all the rebar you can ship. Maybe oh yeah. Rebar is made out of iron and iron is cold iron on this place. And you can use it to make this place safe.
3: Well, but they only do that in one place, John, because the magical beings in the rest of the place would basically have you for lunch. If you tried to just throw that pell-mell over the lot over the
1: environ. Oh no, no, that's what I meant. Yeah, you basically if you you know that they want to expand that spot. So they want to get those get those uh, rebars or whatever iron and just drive into the ground and start claiming more territory. It's slow but sure, but yeah, they want that iron.
3: Well, some some do. I'm just saying there's a lot of magical beings there. And remember, this is this is a modern city, so in fact is there's lots of rebar already built into those abandoned buildings that are just part of the bla- blasted landscape.
1: Ah, but it says right here it was discovered that iron brought from other environs helped grow. You're
3: right. You're right. It has to be untainted iron. Right. Right. Okay. Thank you, John. That that's actually useful. <laughs> Not that what you say normally isn't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So cool. So magic cost doesn't. So I don't know. Does anybody else have a different opinion about magic cost? Is it a great place to? you know to to do trade with i i don't see it
2: well i mean the people that are staying there the the little few survivors that are hiding in the survivor camps they have need of everything i mean from you know just firearms to weapons to food to first aid they they and and if you can passage off the island i mean yeah there's a lot of thing that those survivors need so i would think yeah if you bring them, you know, yeah, you bring us this, this, and this. Yeah, we'll let you scavenge around these buildings. We've made sure they're safe. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah.
3: So. <laughs> you know, I, it's it's funny because, um, you know, you you read the, the book and they talk about, you know, the newcomer society, you know, in New Akron and how they take such good care of you and stuff like that. You know, and you get this idea that that's how it always happens. But there's just as likely a, a chance that you're washing up on the shore of Magicost. And that's a whole
1: different first day experience. Oh yeah, you're wondering if you should go back in the ocean with the with the carna whales and the squid. <laughs> it's a clean death, right? Yeah. Now I like to say you, because you you might run into a guy, you realize, okay, this guy's dead. He hasn't figured it out yet. <laughs> yeah. There, and there's mutants and there's
3: wizards and. And here
1: be dragons.
3: And there seems to be a lot of dragons. And there's this tremendous pit that uh, I like how they said there's constantly fireworks going off over top of it.
1: Yeah. Now, I, I like the picture that illustrates Magic costs. Where is this from, Richard? Beirut? During, during the, the nasty? <laughs> <laughs> All
4: <laughs> the number of cities.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, but basically, it, 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 you think there's salvage here. No, there's not salvage here. Everything's been blown to, you know crapping back again or it's infused with
3: with evil magic that has to be slowly de- leached out by by just letting it sit for hours and days and stuff as a matter of fact if you wanted to hide something this would probably be one of the best places to hide it in one of those storage things where they say yeah we're gonna go check on that in another decade to see if it's safe enough and you could put something in there and you know nobody would look in there for the for years
1: Yep, and a is a place also where you run into the sentient Coke machine that fires its cokes at you. <laughs> really? Why not? I just would have thought that would be a Noram. Okay. No, no. This 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 case is a possessed. Uh, you know, it's possessed by magical by demonic spirits. Okay. Okay. S- same difference. You know. Sure. You know, w- sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I just never heard that before. So
3: <laughs> All right. Again, it's hard, you know, you think of Magic Cause, and they talk about how everybody's walking around with low-tech weapons, and when I say low-tech, I'm not talking about low-quality, okay? I mean, the guys who have the swords, you know, these are the finest steel or titanium weapons that can be made, okay? I mean, they may even be made over at Noram and brought over here because they're low-tech and can be used. Most, things, most high-tech things don't work here. Uh, but, I mean, this is a modern city... These, you know, uh, uh, Environ that has been just uh, hit with some terrible, terrible magical calamity. So it, it literally is a, a modern blasted landscape, you know, much like Fallout, much like the, the decaying buildings, except instead of, you know, uh, it being tech, it's all magic. So if you just kind of replace, just, just think if you, if you took Fallout 4 and replaced all the monsters with the monsters of Skyrim. Okay, then you'd be like, you know, you, know, uh, you'd, you know, the the people of Skyrim. Then you'd basically have what you have in
1: magic cost yeah, or or the Sword of Shannara, The Witcher. Well, no, the Sword of Shannara is set in the future, but it has magic and dragons and stuff like that.
4: Yeah. Okay.
1: All right. Yeah.
3: All right. So let's uh, let's move on to Little Kiev, one of my favorite places because I spent a lot of time there in my campaign. Uh, little Kiev, um, there they produce silver, fur, vodka, wood-based aircraft propellers and components, Eastern Orthodox iconography. Oh, and so um, uh, and so a little explanation here. There's a huge silver mine. So essentially, um, uh, Little Kiev. Anything that they want to buy from, you know, out of uh, out of environ, they're basically paying for it out of silver. All the silver, as far as I can tell, in the entire environ, uh, hardware here hearland, is coming from Little Kiev,
1: because they don't mention the silver mine anywhere else. Yeah, and it's actually coming from just one place, Preta Prat-Zek- Zelka. Right, but since this place is. Um,
3: essentially um, not great. It's like, you know, it's, it's like Russian Siberia with very short growing seasons and such. They have a great need to import a lot of stuff, you know, basically everything, uh, except for the stuff that they do export. Uh, because they have, you know, it's, it's mountainous and it's snowy and such. They have a lot of animals that they harvest for their fur. Uh, they love their vodka and they have distilleries for that. And they have a lot of craftsmen who make very, you know, are very good at working with wood, and that's where you get the wood-based aircraft propellers and components. They're considered very, very high quality and in demand for that very reason. And it is the, you know, basically the the ground zero for one of the few religions that are mentioned in the Hardwire Hinterland, the and the Eastern Orthodox Church. Is basically this is this is it? This is their new um, uh, Istanbul, essentially. This you know that's how uh, they have you know major league churches here, and they send out uh, what's iconography is actually pictures and other, th- uh, especially de- depicting scenes from the life of saints, and they have to be done a very exacting way, uh, and they have schools in uh, Little Kiev for teaching people how to do that. And people send their kids from all over the environment to learn this craft so that they can get authorized to be able to produce true, you know, true authorized uh, uh, iconography. So um, that's one of their, you know, so their schools is, is, is what people would go there for. Um, but the, that's, that's, again, that's not something you can sell, you know, as far as a triangle trade. But uh, these items like the iconography that could be taken from here and sold in other environs would be a nice, small, highly valuable uh, uh, source of materials. And, of course, silver. Silver is always valuable, taken from it. So, again, this might be a good last leg of your journey because silver could be sold anywhere. And, of course, like I said, what they need is everything else. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I was looking at the the map back on page sixteen of the book. If you want to follow along at home, and it's a long trip from our Kansas to uh, Little Kiev. It's over nine hundred miles. (laughs) That because our our Kansas produces lots of lots of wheat and stuff like that, which they would love to have there in Little Kiev. But that's a heck of a trip. Yeah, here's
2: something that I came up with, Josie. I came up with our thing. Little Kiev makes vodka, most likely out of potatoes. A really good trading partner with them would be Bruno's Vineyard, because you can make vodka out of grapes, too. Two words, gray goose. French make vodka out of grapes.
1: You can make vodka out of anything as long. The, the, the vodka is actually the, the distill, distillation process. I know this because I've visited several distilleries here in Seattle. Okay, and and it's it's basically you. The best you can get to is a hundred and ninety proof. That last ten percent requires chemicals.
2: Yeah, that makes it that makes it damn near a distilled spirit. That's at one ninety. That's ninety five percent alcohol.
3: Yeah, one eighty is is be uh is is
2: because
3: it's is twice. Yeah. Uh, so basically 90% alcohol is 180 proof.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, and it's pretty, and basically and then before they sell they cut it down to like about half that. So, you know, they they, they you know, maybe 100 proof. They will take it down to 100 proof cuz uh, we don't want people going like I have tasted 180 proof vodka. Uh they give you a tiny little sip and oh my god, yes. You, you want to cut that sucker with some
2: water. Oh no no! I've had. I, um, Habibi gave me a shot of spiritus, which is it's a Polish distilled spirit, ninety six percent alcohol. That's one hundred ninety two proof, folks. It left a patch on the back of my throat for a day. So yeah, they they need to cut that stuff. I mean, the the little Kiev Russians, yeah, they're used to it. They're drinking it. I think I think vodka is the Russian term for water. So, yeah, they drink it like that.
3: Yeah, no, they do. It's it's. Uh, I've been in Russia. They love their uh, – but, no, actually, they're common – what they commonly drink is uh, is fruit-based uh, wine they call caper. Okay. And uh, – But still, but, they're uh,
2: used to that high – they're just used culturally – Right. Excuse me, to that high proof. When they, they
3: get together, the, that's the, – the bottle of vodka comes out, and you can – and once you take the cap off, you got to finish it.
2: But the thing is, they got to cut it for the newbies and the out-of-towners. They can't be giving them the hard stuff. They gave it to me. (laughs) (laughs) And he's still surviving, folks. I drank
3: drank more in Russia than I had drunk in my entire life.
2: (laughs) And just, just for a frame of reference, folks, Bruce does not drink. When all of us talk about any type of alcohol thing, Bruce is quiet. We're like, why aren't you talking? He's like, I've got nothing to contribute. Yes. Notice
3: I don't drink at all. And I think I drank maybe six ounces of vodka while I was there. Oh, okay. Comrade, that is barely anything, comrade. (laughs) My wife was sitting next to me and she was, I would drink, I would take a sip out of it and then she would down it. Then our host would refill (laughs) it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Now, the one thing about using this for fuel, unfortunately, that the little ten percent—that's that—you that, know—that that 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 5 percent, ten percent—is still not you know not alcohol can fall engines. So you have to have a multi fuel engine, or you got to really play with your carburetor or injection to make it work.
3: Well, I don't think they they use uh, cars hardly at all. I mean, they have a train line that uh, that I figure is being powered by wood, and um, and then they. Kia? Little Kiev, yeah.
2: Little Kiev transport ground. I'm thinking horse and carriage. If it's 1710, horse oh and yeah, wagon. but
3: but see, I mean, yes, it's 1710. But I think they do have they have to move that ore that silver. I'm pretty sure they have
1: a rail. Uh, it's it's right there, right next to the, right next to the little Kiev, right next to the air, airport. I can see them, you know, hooking up the oxen and pulling them that way. Twenty. I mean, they they also could
3: have had gigantic sledges, you know. But I I, I gave them a railway. I, I said okay. the, the train goes uh, goes out in the morning and comes back at night. <laughs>
1: okay. And it's one one thing, you know. And I can see the uh, and there's uh, all these Eastern Orthodox priests sitting by the side, going, you know, basically you know, you know praying on it and to drive away the driveway, the, the, de- the steel the steam demon that's in their in their city now. Uh. <laughs> You know, it's not like they don't know about the rest of the world. No, <laughs> no, no, but you, know, it's, but you brought some of it here.
3: Right. So, uh, yeah. But anyways, the rest of the time, uh, they, uh, they have like uh, uh, intelligent polar bear uh, pulled sledges and all kinds of things going on. So uh, mostly things are operating by animal power uh, outside of the heavy movement, which I think you know, could also be animal power. But I, I, figured I would give them at least one railway. Shades of the, the
1: Golden Compass.
3: Yes, yes. Well, this me- they mentioned, you know, uh, things being pulled by uh, uh, by uh,
1: polar bears. Yeah, I, yeah. That's hey, hey, it's folks that they were fans of the Golden Compass. You have your chance of playing one of the characters from the from the movie. Or from the books, <laughs> one of the characters in my in, in my
3: campaign is a is a polar bear. He used to be the uh, uh, chief executioner at the in the pit during the games that they would have every month.
1: You know, are you go there, yeah, I'm going to fight a bear, and he goes, "No, comrade, you're fighting me. I am a polar bear. I will rip you apart and eat your innards." Why am I reminded
2: of Bruno from the Bugs Bunny cartoon? Bruno, go first. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I will dive into a block of cement on my head yet. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. So, moving on, uh, unless you think there's something else that Little Kiev has that they need or, you know, is specific that they would need or something else that they might be exporting.
2: Nope. I was okay. going to say potato peelers for all the potatoes for the vodka, but no, go ahead.
3: Right. Okay. Bruno's Vineyards. <laughs> Oh, okay, so Vernas Vineyards, classic, you know, export wine. They also um, export fruit and nuts of a wide variety. There are more variety. Uh, I mean, there are more varieties of fruit and nuts that grow in Brunner's Vineyards than anywhere else, including New Brasilia. Dope. As far as fruit and nuts, okay. I'm not talking about other stuff. I mean they got stuff growing in Lou Brasilia that, I don't, that in the out there in the back country I don't even want to talk about. Um, but there's um, uh, they also are have a, a large glass bottle manufacturing uh, facility there.
1: 1947. Okay yeah 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 yeah. that could actually be a proper uh, mold based uh, glass operation.
3: Yeah, it's not glass blowing. It's actually glass bottle manufacturing. Mm. So that's at least that's what it said. That's what they produce. What do they need? Nothing, as far as I can tell, outside of perhaps you know specialized silica for the purposes of blowing the glass. Maybe they get that from Edowango with the beaches
1: corkwood yeah. from Edowango, or from Little Texas to get sand from Little Texas too. That would be a good spot for the proper silica. It's. It really depends. I, I unfortunately the silica the, the, the beach if the beaches in Iwaka uh, are proper they're not they're not made of silica they're made of coral.
3: Oh, and that would be uh, calcium carbonate.
1: Right. Okay. Well, I don't know.
3: So I'm just saying that's the only thing I can think of that they would actually need there you know other than the
1: normal stuff you know the just general sahara the sahara one that would actually produce probably a lot of the necessary nearly pure silicon sand okay all right yeah because it's it's that place is basically empty and we'll you
3: know uh so you know so Bruno's vineyards uh it, it, which is a great place they have some other stuff there besides this kind of stuff i mean they have the uh, zoological uh research facility uh, one, of the, one of the places you can see probably some of the most exotic animals in all the hinterland in a relatively safe environment, you know, rather than going out in the wild and encountering them. Uh, but as far as, uh, so tourism, again, is something that a lot of these environs have, but as far as setting up a triangle trade, um, the uh, I don't see a whole lot, other, other than bringing them uh, Sulica for their glass bottle manufacturing. I don't see a whole lot of what you would bring them that would be, you know, be an easy sell. And then we buy lots of wine and fruits and nuts from you. It's
1: it's 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 the uh, it's the Tuscany area of, of Italy. There really isn't much you can bring them. Yeah, I mean they're pretty self sufficient and they know it. All right. So essentially,
3: you know, they they make all this stuff and then they import uh, luxuries. So I guess if you had some really nice luxuries, that might be worthwhile to bring in. Maybe some of those, you know, high tech electronics, or uh, or art, or art. Maybe that iconography from uh, uh, from Orthodox. because Eastern Orthodox is still pretty Latin, pretty you know, uh, pretty
2: so Catholic, yeah,
3: Catholic. So it's not Catholic, but it's pretty darn close as far as the
1: look and feel. So uh, they might be interested in that. Now I, I do love the little. There's always little bits of history and little things that stand out. One of the things that stand out is the person who basically is in charge of everything. Antonio Cal- Caligoni, the second generation. That means he's one of the few people who were born on the hinterland. He wasn't. He wasn't a shipper. He was born here. If you take that as as word, is that is that is that correct, Richard? Yes. Yeah, so, so is Br- so is Bruno his father? Kids are not unheard of. I mean, there's
3: the the the, the birth rate is one five hundredth of the normal birth rate, but that doesn't make it not happen.
1: Yeah, but I'm looking at his picture; he's old.
3: Well, I don't think you should go by that. Everybody, there's no, there shouldn't be
1: anybody that looks that old. I know, unless he really. Uh, so, so it was Bruno his father? Uh, probably. probably. Probably, yeah. Probably. All right, so... I mean, if he really is that old, he, they were some of the first people here. How, when was that again, Richard? 500 years ago? 500
4: years ago, and they're maybe even farther back.
1: Yeah, so... They back may to be, maybe a thousand. Yeah. It's quite possible that he is that old. Okay, well, we, just, we don't Probably know. Romans. Yeah, we have no Egyptians. Idea. Oh, well, you got a place for that already. You know, red paint. <laughs> Who wants yeah. to live forever? <laughs> uh,
3: Anyways, okay, so moving on to Mount Malo. Nothing is produced here, and they don't want nothing either. <laughs> Basically, it seems to be a pretty much uninhabited environ. Yeah,
1: yeah,
3: it's just. Is- these are the ones that are out on the farthest edge, away from the core environs. So they're really there for you to explore and and, and detail on your own.
1: I love the again, again the little tip, the little things here. Latin speaking German herders. Okay, they're they're probably they're, they're all from they're all from Pax Romana. There we go. Yeah.
3: Okay.
2: Because.
3: Yeah, All right, so um, so yeah, this definitely not. This would not be a place. uh, This would only be an emergency stop for you on your plane if you needed fuel. Um, The next one is Sahara, which I they produce nothing. Also, however, uh, as we just mentioned, that maybe they would be a source of sand that would be necessary for Bruno's Vineyards glass bottle manufacturing.
2: Well, wait a minute, Bruce. Nasty desert environment with Egyptian ruins. You would have at least ex- expeditions. I want. I was trying to be nice and say expeditions, but yeah, crypt robbers should, and tomb so raiders. Let let's arose by any other name. <laughs> they,
0: they, they well, they don't. Ones out on the. Ugh. Okay. Calm down. What we'll word? These ones out on the farthest edge of what these people know, just because there isn't anybody there doesn't mean these places don't have something that the other places do need. And okay. probably isn't being interfered with by anybody that's there because there's nobody there.
2: Yeah, it's just an outpost. There's only like 250 people there from what it says here.
3: Yeah, I mean, 250 is not what you call, it's not a civilization.
2: Yeah,
1: it's spread over th- over three forts. So there's three forts, so we're talking about math. Sort
4: of like that Star Wars city in the new movie.
1: And it said the ruins are heavily trapped
3: and plundered long ago.
1: There's yeah.
3: A, there's a few poisonous snakes and a dinner-sized poisonous spider here. Well, you could harvest the poisonous spiders and sell the poison to the natives on New Brasilia and say, hey, oh. why don't you try this out, man? Oh. This is something new for you to see, you know? Maybe you can it's come up so with a custom cool. blend that's uh, even better than what you had before.
1: And, and the ruins are heavily
0: trapped
3: <laughs> and plundered long ago.
0: Freaking out, like holy crap! Yeah, <laughs> but you yeah, see that? Risk
1: the poison? Yeah. For that. So, 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 Richard, are are they truly plundered, or are they the, the easy stuff plundered?
4: you gotta go find out
1: (laughs) well
3: with 250 people you're literally gonna have to bring your own surveying crews your own digging crews whatever (laughs) It's, it's it's a major you better have you better be coming here looking for something okay as in like you have a reason to believe there's something here not that that can't happen that's that's Fine, you find something on another environment that points to something being there with a map and whatever that makes that's fine. But I'm just saying, is it you know, just looking at it? There's nothing there to make you want to be here.
1: Yeah, I mean the only, the, only, the only thing that happened. Uh, I used it for a setting for a game I ran where basically a long time ago, uh, Ford Levi were carrying this box. They couldn't touch because it would burn them. And they, and the city was being raided by someone, somebody, and they made a left hand turn and ended up here. They found some ruins they hid the box in that, in those ruins and they went and found civilization and they went their separate ways. But then one of them said, you know, that box is really important. We should probably go get it. And the, the adventure came from that point of that, you know, dealing with air pirates and Gangsters all trying to gain the Ark of the Covenant. You mean a a golden cell phone to God? Yeah. <laughs> well that that would definitely be going
3: beyond your five hundred years in the past, Richard. Hmm. We're talking couple more than a couple thousand. years. Like I said years.
4: Bruce could be could be longer, a oh, lot. I longer. know. I'm just saying we're it talking just took more 500 than five hundred years to get years. everything together.
1: No, five hundred years for habitation the range goes back to uh, early Roman times for people being yanked and picked up. This is still before that. Yeah. It's still before that. So, you know, it's the little hand wave, you know? Yeah. I'm, no,
3: I'm not saying it couldn't happen. I'm just saying that, uh, you know, and there's nothing to say that we don't have a, uh, you know, since we, since we're, pull, you know, we're talking about as being related to Fringeworthy, that there isn't a time retarded uh, environment where those things are just happening now. Yeah. So it's, it's all doable. I'm just saying that if you, you know, it's, it would, it would seem to go against the whole, it's been 500 years. And, but there are explanations for everything. If you look hard enough in in Richard's multiverse.
1: And it's funny, I was actually able to use an actual map of a, uh, of a ruined Egyptian temple complex to, for them to go through and have all their, all sorts of fun, you know, you know, dodging air pirates and, and stuff like that. And, and I did put a Nile through there, so I did put a Nile through there in one spot, so they had some place to land their air their air, their aircraft. You mean you put water? Yeah, I put a Nile in there. Why not?
3: Because it doesn't make any sense. But okay,
4: Neither do a lot of other things in the land. Well, yeah, but I'm saying crocodiles,
3: the, the yeah, Nile, Nile crocodiles, yeah, the Nile, the Nile exists because of mountains. And the water coming from those African deep, you know, uh, deep jungle mountainous areas. Okay, that's why there is a Nile, okay?
1: The Amazon, the Amazon, Brasilia flows in both directions. Yeah, yeah, I, I understand that too. <laughs> okay,
3: so I'm just saying, but I said it didn't make any sense, right? <laughs> Neither does that. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> doesn't mean it can't happen, it just means it doesn't make any sense.
2: No, no, I understand Bruce looking for verisimilitude. I get that, but yeah, it is the hit plant, so we're kind of riding up on the Yeah,
3: yeah it's, it's counterproductive, yeah. <laughs> Moving on to Grunlog. The only thing that Grunlog produces is meat. <laughs> they are They are hunters there, and that's pretty much it. I liked how you, you had a thing from the uh the Hinterland Geographic, which was how to survive uh, how to go to Grunlog and survive, and then there's no article. <laughs> it's just advertised on the cover, and I'm like, uh that, that probably would have been useful. But uh, they pretty much don't need it. They the only thing they need are low tech weapons because they're a primitive society. They're they're basically, you know, cavemen essentially. You know, running uh, or plainsmen or whatever you want to call them, you know, ancient Indians. So they wouldn't be able t- to understand and maintain anything but low tech weapons. But you could get some, probably some really interesting meat from these folk uh, uh, for some pretty uh, low grade, uh, uh, you know, knives and 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 hammers and such.
1: Well, the listed is near human, so we're talking. They could be something like Homo erectus. Up, up up to the the, the uh, or uh, even neanderthal or Harderbergus. uh you, you know they're not human but they're close enough and they probably are from an, an, a close alt Heck, if you really if you really want to have fun with the players they're uh they're homo flore- florensis i e hobbits <laughs> Now, Richard, I got a question, because you have a population of 1,400. Is that the native population, or is that the everyone else population? The everyone else. Okay, so there's actually more of these near humans, than So this is the people who come visit.
2: Yes, John, because they're going to all stand up for the census. There, I would think there was no idea how many of these near humans are.
1: You know for a fact that there will be a Canadian who will come out there and try to count these people.
2: Uh, yeah, the the <land>. Uh, What's your name? Uh, uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Eh? (laughs) No, but you know full well that these near humans, they're going to see these guys coming up. They're not going to be around. Again, this is an indigenous person, an indigenous group with the home court advantage. They know every nook, every cranny, every blade of grass. If they don't want to be found, they're not going to be found.
3: Yeah, and they're complete survivalists, so they don't need anything from anybody that they can't make with their own hands. So when I mentioned the low-tech weapons, I, I do need to qualify that, because I said you could give them like low-grade steel knives and such. They probably are producing better weapons with sharper edges just using flint.
2: Oh, no, the really good one, obsidian. obsidian. Yeah, well if they have it. If they have yeah. that,
3: yeah. But I'm saying flint is a very, very sharp material when you... Oh, yeah. And and, and uh, anything that's made off of natural glass is extremely sharp and holds an edge better than steel does. Yeah. Uh,
2: um, I don't know, Rich or John or Bruce, you can ask this. Isn't some obsidian, if you get good enough obsidian, isn't it like surgical grade scalpel quality?
1: Yeah. Oh, it's better. It's better. In fact... they. That's what they're gonna be
4: doing when they replace my uh my eye lenses. They're gonna be using probably uh uh obsidian uh, scalpels for optical work. Yeah.
3: They're, they're not actually better, John. If they're they're about equivalent, okay, because you know, I I actually, you know, used a microtone where we used, you know, glass, you know, uh mm-hmm. blades to cut it. And we just would take a they have a, a thing of glass and we'd chip off you know a part of it to give the edge, and we'd slice off these these incredibly thin slices of tissue that we'd mount on our slides. It was in uh, parasitology class. so they, they said that you know uh, you can buy steel. The problem is those things are only good they're they're good for X amount of uses, and then you have to go and replace them. you know with while you know the glass ones, they don't last quite as long but they're really easy to replace and they and they both have an equally sharp edge.
1: Yeah, that's right. I think the uh, it comes right down to it, you know, we're talking I think the difference is that the edge on the glass ones are, are actually not as rough. When you get down to the to you know with a the, with the uh, electron electron microscope, the glass edge is actually a bit sharper than the steel one, but you right but it lack it lacks in when it has in sharpness, it lacks in uh, uh hardness, so to speak. It will actually flake off more often. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The metals
4: the metals will oxidize. Yeah.
3: Well the, the reason the reason for that is because of what it is. Glass is a super cool liquid. So when you shear something off of it, it's still a liquid and so it'll produce a smoother edge. But for that same reason, it's not going to keep the edge. You know, as as long, it's not going to be as durable because it is a super cool liquid.
2: I would think still, if you want to establish trade with these near humans, giving them the better versions of just what they use, because that's easy for them to use. Yeah, we have the Obsidian. Yeah, Obsidian breaks. It may be sharp, but it breaks. Here's something that's reasonably sharp and won't break and give them steel knives and steel arrowheads for bows if they use bows and arrows. Yeah. And in return, get elk meat. Yeah. I don't know about bear meat. It says elk and bear. I don't know about bear meat. I know they eat bear in China because they have a dish, bear paw. But elk? Elk is considered venison, like moose and caribou. Sure. Same family. So, well, I mean, I mean, a lot of our listeners, what the... Um, and again, as I mentioned, myself, Rich, and John, we all come from southern Michigan. So we we hear venison, the first thing we think of, boom, deer. No, elk and caribou are also considered venison. I'm sure elk may have a different taste. It might be a little more...
3: Yeah, another gamer. another name for caribou is reindeer.
2: Yeah, right. But the elk, I'm sure it's it's a little bit tougher meat, but still, I'm sure it's probably pretty good meat. And elk, of course, are a lot bigger than deer.
3: It depends on how old they are. You get yeah. yourself a, a yearling elk, I'm sure its meat is very tender.
2: Yeah. But also, you know, it also depends, and it's something we have here in Michigan, and I tell a lot of people who haven't had venison, it depends on what they eat. Now, up in the northern, if you take your hand and, you know, you're looking at your palm... From about halfway up, the deer eat pine cones. From the halfway down, they eat corn. You're going to have a different taste in the meat. So, I mean, depending on what other plants are in Grunlog, that elk may have a different taste in the meat as well. So, you got—I mean, but still, it'd be an exotic meat that people would come and want to have. And I'm sure all—well, I don't know about big game hunting. No, I'm not sure that they would want that. I would be thinking that the the the, the near humans on Grunlog would not want big game hunters just coming in, and they would probably doing trade for equal. It's like, okay, we'll kill you a couple of elk. We see that case full of knives. Okay, fine. They're just not going to let people come in with possibly high powered rifles and just you know take out the whole elk population. I don't see that happening
3: well that 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 was only like the excesses of the old west anyways and I mean and and where they were using fowling pieces to take down whole flocks of of things most of the time you know when people went on hunting expeditions, they literally were going after a single animal that they were looking for, and the native guides would help drive the animal toward them so they could kill it
2: so yeah maybe I, that I could see that, but even yeah. then the the near humans would want to control that because they're still we don't want. To bring these extra people in, killing off more deer than we would, and depleting our supply, so they're going to be kind of okay. We'll let you do this, but yeah, we want some of them fancy knives and those bows with the nice metal tips on them. And right.
3: I, I don't see big game hunting as being a you know uh, a, a big part of tourism.
2: No, no, in, no, In no, the no, hinterland anywhere. That. Yeah, I'm not saying that, but let's face it. If somebody's got something that these guys want. Thing. Yeah, I know they might, you hook them up a little.
3: Yeah, yeah. Like us say uh, bows are something really good. Bows are something they would not be able to make as well themselves,
2: right? Okay. Because it's all what, you know, your regular curved piece of wood. Yeah, probably bear tendon or elk tendon, and then sticks with flint heads on them.
3: Right. And 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 though the heads could be really sharp and stuff like that, you know, the rest of it, you know, you're not going to have your aircraft aluminum. You're not right. going to have uh, your really high quality epoxies for making laminated wood that really, you know, can give you a small, easy to carry bow with tremendous pulling power.
2: Oh yeah, and it's you- like if you were to sit there and show them, and and some of these near humans, I'm sure, are pretty strong. Yeah, I'm not going to try to mention the names that you guys mentioned, but yeah, you give one of them like a compound bow with the gears and the wheels and all that. Some of them have like 100-pound pulls on them from what my coworkers who bow hunt tell me. And they're going to watch that arrow go clean through that elk, and they're just going to be sitting there. Their jaws are going to hit the floor. So they might want that just because, oh, no, I just brought down this big elk and fed my family for the winter, you know. Yeah
3: but you wouldn't so even you wouldn't even need okay. a compound bow like that nope. i'm saying is it, right. you know the um, um uh it was very common for the horse riders the bedouins okay to use recurve bows made out of horn and various things like that that had that kind of pull to it they
4: just and hey, that was the that was the mongols. the mongols had some of the best short bows anywhere. they were laminate bows. right. and they usually took them a couple of years to make a good bow and they were phenomenal.
2: right. and they were probably handed down from generation to generation because of the craftsmanship in it.
3: sure. yes. and because they, yeah. they could be maintained. yes. You know, I'm just saying a near-human a near is not going to be able to maintain uh, a complex gear system. Well, on, uh, yeah,
2: right. But even then, still, the bows we make today don't even put gears in. They're still, some of them, 50-, 75-pound pull. Right.
3: But, uh, again, a near-human, unless they are, are probably going to be smaller than a human – so therefore, I was thinking about the recurve compound laminate yeah. boats would probably be the best choice for them. But that's just me thinking about it. You right. Know, whatever right. you want to, whatever, whatever way you want to describe these gum, uh, the 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 natives a gun log, uh, I always,
1: Grunelog, I log, always thought yeah. they
3: were kind of small. But okay.
1: Yeah, if they're small, I would definitely go for a recurve because that gives them the, the 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 pulling power, but they also give you know smaller size. And right. don't forget. They are crafty, vicious, and excellent hunters, and they are also cannibals. That means they eat their own, not us. We're just we're just another no, no, animal no. to them.
2: Well, remember <laughs> Bruce, they can either have you over for dinner or they can have you over for dinner. <laughs> yeah.
3: What I'm just saying is that we wouldn't be considered if they ate us, it wouldn't be considered cannibalism. It's only when they it's only when they eat each other that is cannibalism. Yeah. This is Bruce Sheffer Saying there are a million million worlds out there So go
1: explore them This is John Ryer Saying keep your powder dry And keep
2: those cards and letters coming in This is Blix Don't hate the game, hate the players
4: This is Richard Tahoka. Wait till you see what's coming next
2: And this is Trav There's a reason why it's called gaming It's for having fun
0: Yo brothers This was the tri tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucka, you best attribute this to the folks at tri tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers.